Okay, what's good? A couple late night FaceTimes from the Virginia crew. Uh, did not pick up any of those. Was asleep at that point. What was that? Not Stanford, Saruti. Steve, and Chris Long? Mm, I've been told I've been name dropping, so I'm not gonna. Well, alright, I'll name drop for you then. I mean, I just saw the picture of Stanford Steve posing with him. I was like, wow, Stanford Steve probably got after him last night. I think they all did. Yeah, I mean, apparently there Barkley was, was involved, so. There were tweets Whoa. talking about sunrises, so, <laughs> um, I am, I couldn't be happier that I didn't go. But it was a great game, and it wasn't supposed to be a great game because it was Texas Tech of Virginia. I don't think anybody believes this. My, my own father accused me of lying, and then I had to take a picture of it. My Final Four was UNC, LSU, and Texas Tech of Virginia. Unfortunately, I had UNC winning the whole thing. So, I always thought these teams were good. I don't think that's, oh, hey, Rasuli, the team that went 31 and 70, you thought was good? Great. Glad I downloaded it today. But it's such an annoying style, and it's, it's abrasive at times, even though I appreciate the fact that when you watch Virginia play defense, or you watch Texas Tech play defense, you go, I can't believe how locked in every one of these guys are. Like, I'm talking everybody that comes off the bench, one through eight, one through nine, Everybody knows exactly like what they're supposed to do and how to sell out. And that's the weird thing about that Hunter three that ties it up in regulation is that because Ty Jerome had this free cut to the middle, Texas Tech has all season long been like, okay, here comes the help. And they helped off the three point shooter when you can't do that in that spot. But it's hard to take your mindset out of doing that when that's the way you've been doing it the whole time. To think about what Virginia did here in these last couple games, when Virginia's up 10 in a game, it feels like they're up 25. And they almost, well, they did blow that lead to Auburn, and they come back and win it. And then Kyle Guy hitting those three free throws was ridiculous. And he looked the least bit, least bit scared. I know the foul call. Look, it just depends emotionally where you're at. When you're detached emotionally, you're probably not that upset about it. If you're somebody else, we can do these screen grabs and all these different things constantly. It actually makes the game less fun for me. I don't, I don't enjoy everybody trying to figure out how somebody's getting screwed the entire time. Um, and I know the Texas Tech free throw thing towards the end and overtime to have it be a UVA free throw shooting contest. You're like, this is ridiculous. And I would say that in the spirit of what the replay is supposed to do, when you're the defensive player and you swat the ball out of somebody else's hand and it may just tip off of his finger like it did last night with Tech and UVA, and then you review it and it's off of Tech and UVA gets the ball back, that's the kind of play that drives me nuts. Like that's something that I hate because that's you think you're getting it right with replay and you're actually getting it wrong because there's a just a like I remember playing in pickup games where a guy would smash the ball out of my hand and there's a chance scientifically it may have been off of my finger last but the intent of like what the guy's doing and then he'd be like hey wasn't that off of you and you just like shut up stop talking like no that's <laughs> I mean, you're not getting that call you, like, you know what happened there, and that is the same exact thing. So that call actually did bum me out because, again, it has to do with replay and all these different things, but it's not really why the game was decided. But Kyle Guy even said after those three free throws when they came back and beat Auburn that he's like, you know, I was scared to death. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you, you look the furthest thing from it. You look like you couldn't wait to get out there and shoot those free throws. That's why I was so, like, just blown away by, yeah, give me the ball. Let me get this up there. So he hits all three. They win that game. And then they blow another lead where DeAndre Hunter had an end one. He missed the free throw. It was going to put him up nine or ten. And then they blew that lead. And I'm thinking, this is so crazy because usually when Virginia's up close to double digits, there's nothing you can do because they're playing such a great defense. But their offense can get a little stagnant. And whether it's Hunter 
going off in the second half, but other times disappearing, feeling like they go away from Kyle Guy too much, or then Ty Jerome taking brutal shots, which some go in, so you can't really get on him, and he's really their best playmaker with that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm just happy for UVA. I said when the Final Four started, Izzo, who does more with less than any of his contemporaries, um, certainly Bruce Pearl just shows up and everybody plays so hard. When I watched Zyre Smith draft stuff, I was going through tech film last year, and I don't know, I might have been Gottlieb or somebody who I texted, I was like, hey, is this coach for tech insanely good? Because I can't believe, I'm so impressed with how they play, and then you have Tony Bennett. And the Tony Bennett part of this is I like him, I liked him going back to Washington State, I like the story with his dad, I just like all that stuff, and he's always been really cool to us when we've had him on, and I... Never want somebody who I think is really good. I even said this about Barry Bonds, okay? So just so you understand where I'm coming from. I don't like what's going on with Clayton Kershaw. That he's clearly the best, and yet he stinks in the postseason. And that's real. But there have been other baseball players that have had like five or six postseason games, and they don't have great numbers. And then it's like, oh, he's great, but look at his postseason. You're like, okay, we're talking about thousands of games versus a handful. And when Bonds finally turned it on in the playoffs, because that was always the knock against him, I was like, that's good. That's what I want to have happen because I want his playoff run to be a representative of what he is as a player. So when Tony Bennett's one of the best coaches in college basketball and he loses in a 116 matchup, it's entertaining. It finally happened. I always thought it would happen. There's a reason why it wasn't going to happen at some point if 15s are beating twos. But I felt bad. As bad as you can feel about anybody that has a great family, a great job, and a great situation being on that kind of campus. You know, like, it's, I don't know if it's more so now with everybody's skepticism, but you're not supposed to feel bad for anybody that's doing well. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for that group of kids. Like, man, that sucks. Like, they're the 16-1 guys. And so for them to come back a year later and win a national championship, I was just happy for him. Even though I've, you know, I've never really rooted for UVA a day in my life, I just didn't want Bennett to be saddled with that and, you know, the absurdity of, of how disappointing it is to lose that. But, of course, when you do that and you put it on social media, there was one guy, an Alabama writer, who I did go back at, where he's like, what do you mean get over? It's not like their their bus crashed. And you just go, you know what, folks? This website should be renamed Things You May Have Left Out and Didn't Think Of. And so that I'll just I'll just fire those all up. Is it okay to feel some sympathy for Tony Bennett and UVA and those kids, knowing that in the grand scheme of things, what they really went through was not a crashed bus, not cancer, not all of these. You know what I mean? Is it okay if it isn't the worst thing that they had to go through on the list of worst things to still feel like, hey, good for those guys after they lost to a 16 last year? Because I'd like to still operate in a world where it is okay to do that. So Rudy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I just feel like there were so many people last night rooting for it to be a bad game too. And you're like, why are you watching? If you like, like everyone's complaining, oh, the, you know, these two teams don't play, you know, good basketball. I hate their styles. And like, it ended up being like a. I mean, early on, it was terrible. Like for the first what five, even eight. Yeah, it was game, really bad. It I was mean, it was really like, bad. Yeah, right. it was looking like it was going to be as bad as we thought. And then it was awesome. And like, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but like, it opened up a little bit. You can see that both teams loosened up, and by the end, I mean, it was it was an amazing game. So I just get annoyed by these people on Twitter that just complain about everything. And then when they they're like, hey, when they're married to this take about how this game is going to suck so much, then they stick to it and they go, oh, just because it was close to I me, mean, it was a good game. I hate, you know, I don't like watching Tony Bennett style of basketball. And you're like, man, like we just hate everything. Like nothing could be cool at all anymore. And that was just frustrating. And I, that's why you just can't watch games on Twitter anymore. 
No, I didn't do it at all. I mean, I, I checked a couple times, but I don't, I don't leave it open because I go, you know what? I just want to actually sit back and enjoy this game. That's what I did. I just sat here and, you know, I wasn't on the phone with anybody. I wasn't texting people. I just was like, I want to watch this game. In the beginning, you're like, oh my gosh, is Texas Tech ever going to get a good oh, look? Oh, it's awful. Because I do this thing where I'll try to see how late in the game I can go where I can memorize every bucket. Because it's, I have Mental to challenge myself. No, I'm nice. serious, man, because we get so distracted now. And I never used to be this way, but it's just the way we become conditioned that I put myself through different exercises now to make sure I'm watching as closely as I want to be watching. So I'll call out what they do. And I don't know all the terminology, but I'll, you know, say, okay, side pick roll or that's horns or, or that was this or this was just freelance. And I'll try to do that. And with Texas, I go, I might be able to recite every bucket they get in the first half, which I've never been able to do before because they may get like four. But yeah, it opened up, and Francis, who comes off the bench, and he played 37 minutes for him last night, he goes for 17. If it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for this stretch where they hit three, no, they hit four threes in a row to get it from like seven to 19 points, I think. And that was when I go, all right, if Texas Tech wins this game, that'll be the point that you look at and go, okay, they saved themselves there. And they very well, you know, who knows, they very well could have had it. Go their way. It's always those things where it's, is it truly one team wanted it more? One coach was better. One player was better. Or did something happen there? And if, if Hunter doesn't hit that three, we're talking about Texas Tech today and Chris Beard and how good this guy is. And he's still awesome. So when things are really close, I don't know if the profound statement actually plays as well as the kind of shrug of, hmm. But you know what? We've taken too long because we're going to do some more on these players with Mike Schmitz. We're going to talk NBA draft. But before we do that, I think we have to throw it to Saruti here <laughs> for his his proclamation about the Orlando Magic and a bit of a, a magic minute here. Yeah, listen, I don't want to say I, I don't want to say I told you so, but you I was did. I was pretty confident they were going to make the playoffs based on the schedule. Now I didn't think that they were going, and I think this was what a month or two ago. Um, and I mean they they're twenty one and nine in their last thirty games. They're as hot as any team in basketball right now. I didn't think it would go down this way because. They're first in defensive rating over those over that span. They're fourth in net rating. Like this is like a really good basketball team that's coming together. I did not see this coming. I just thought based on the schedule that I thought that they would be able to sneak in. I didn't even think they would have a winning record necessarily. But I think a lot of the other bottom teams of the East have actually kind of played well at the end of the season. I don't even know if this is a hot take or not either. Saying that they're going to be quote unquote an annoying out. I don't know if that's me predicting anything or actually saying nothing at all. It's probably me saying nothing at all, right? Because what does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? Do I mean they're going to win two games? They need to get the three seed. I, I don't think they have any chance at beating Toronto or Milwaukee. If they can get the three seed, I'm kind of I'm interested in the matchup with the Sixers. Like, do I think they will beat them? No, but I think they could at least push them a little bit. I think the way that they're playing, they could certainly push it to six or seven games. And this is like the Steve Clifford effect. And I know I don't know if it's a one season thing. And they've got a lot of decisions to make in the off season, whether or not they pay Vucevic or whether or not they pay Terrence Ross. I, I, and honestly, I'm undecided on a lot of those things. But I will say, as a as a team. And a fan of a team that has missed the playoffs for, you know, the first, since what, I think it's been six or seven seasons now. You know, they've been in full rebuild mode for that long. Just to get back in the playoffs, man, is such a good feeling. I never thought I would be saying that because, and, and I thought of you, Ryan, because we talk about this all the time, because I think I'm, I'm more of the blow it up kind of guy where I'll be like, Hey, this team is like a consistent playoff team, but where are they going? Just blow it up and get in the lottery. But then what happens is you can become a team more like Orlando where you get in the lottery and you're in there for six years and things don't, you know, the ping pong balls don't fall your way. And picks don't end up panning out and you make a lot of mistakes along the way. You fire different coaches and like, it looks like you're never going to get out of this pit. 
because people just start making fun of you and be like, oh, the six seed, dude, it's not that big of a deal. You're, you're you know, you're the six or the seven seed, but it is that big of a deal because it's, it, it honestly feels so great just to be relevant again, to play meaningful basketball games again. I can't even explain to you how excited it is to like even just watch a team that is in a playoff chase for the first time in this long. So for all those fans, you know, you're kind of sick of seeing a team that you don't think is going anywhere. Like we talked about this with, with like legitimately good teams, like, the Clippers back in the day, whether or not you blow up Chris Paul and Blake Griffin because they weren't winning championships, or like right now with the Blazers, like, hey, what's the Blazers ceiling? Like, do they need to make a move? You take for granted what you can really, or where you can really be and how bad it can actually be, and it's been that bad for the Magic for the last six or seven seasons, and it's honestly just such a great feeling to be back in the playoffs. Wow. That was intense, passionate, spirited, all of A little bit longer than a minute, but... No, but that's fine because whenever anybody's like blow it up versus not and all those different things like i used to be blow it up all the time guy constantly oh yeah you know what's the point what's the point if you're not competing for a championship and then you start to go yeah but what's the what's the point of any of this stuff like isn't it just to try to compete and then see what happens like that's why the portland stuff whenever it's oh they should just blow this thing up like why who who are you trading mccollum for that you can go okay at least we're different but we're still just as good Probably, probably not anybody. Yeah. Not, not the way NBA trades work. When you trade your good player, you get like three pieces back that you go, maybe one will be good, but probably not. So, um, when you've been Orlando, you've been out of it this long and just to have a, a taste of it, even though it doesn't really mean much. And I'm not going to pick them against any of the seeds they go up against the season series. What they were split with the Sixers. They split with the Sixers. I believe they sit, they split with the Raptors and they were. One and two against the Bucks, although they, Giannis didn't play in the one win they had. So they they'd actually been really good against some of the better teams in the East. Yeah, I knew that, but the Raptors one I'd have to go through individually too and see who was playing. I think Kawhi was out for one of those too. I'm sure he was yep. at some point. He's missed he's missed a ton of games. So happy for you, happy for the Magic. We're going to talk some draft coming up here with Mike Schmitz in a bit, but I do have one other little thing that I want to get to before we talk to him. Uh, the first thing we want to do here though is remind you about ZipRecruiter, because hiring used to be hard, multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process, but today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, that's R-Y-E-N Show. Here's the deal, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you'll never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four to five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive website. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter.com Ryan Show. R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, joining us now, we're going to spend about 25 minutes or so going through all the first-round picks, mostly on the lottery, guys. It's Mike Schmidt. You can see their mock draft up on ESPN.com right now, and I'll be traveling around doing the pre-draft process. I want to start with Zion at one because, and I don't want to answer it for you, but think of think of Zion in the way you thought of him in the beginning of this whole deal when he first starts at Duke and the player he is now. Like, How do you see him differently from where he started to what he is now? Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, he definitely wasn't the clear-cut number one pick. You know, I think a year ago, I remember sitting with scouts, executives at McDonald's All-American practices, and, you know, he, he had some injury issues in the past. He, he wasn't in great shape. Uh, he wasn't shooting really the three at all. And then uh, he obviously was an absolute monster this season at Duke. I think he surpassed everybody's expectations. And 
uh, turned into a guy who, you know, some are kind of touting as a transcendent star. Um, I obviously see him as the, the clear number one pick. I think he's going to be a superstar in the NBA for a long time. I, I think you can poke holes in certain parts of his game or, you know, he did a lot in, uh, in the paint at Duke or, um, you know, people question his shot maybe, but I think he's going to be a monster in today's game with shooting around him. I think he can handle and facilitate a lot more than we saw at Duke. So uh, he can guard all five positions. And, and the kid himself is just just an incredible person, and his motor is ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, to me, he's the real deal, and, and you have to tip your cap to the improvement he made from a year ago. Yeah, I, I really – there's not much I disagree with there. One, the kid, the person, the way he's handled himself through everything, coming back from the injury, the way he was talking, I was like, man, I just love this guy. And mm-hmm. you caught some heat, but it was only – look, I don't know how many people said it. Or maybe they were surprised because Simmons and I were doing something on his podcast. Where we were trying to figure out, like, the best fit. And what we really should have done is just gone through all 14 teams. And as much as people look at, like, Phoenix going, oh, they've got the wing, they've got, you know, a big to put him next to – when we were younger watching this game, I think you'd always think of like who's the big that can play next to Zion to protect him. But his value may be just in today's game being a center. And I know that Jalen kind of pushed back when he, when you said that and get up. I, I guess, are you surprised by that? I mean, how minutes wise, you know, he may not just play a traditional center all the way through, but he certainly could be the biggest guy out there for his team. I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. For sure. And uh, I was a little surprised. I mean, I I do think that, you know, with the way that the game is trending, it's not a crazy thought at all to say that he's a guy who's going to close games at center like we've seen from a lot of different guys in the league. Um, You know, I don't I don't know if he's ever going to start 82 games at the five, obviously, but um, I just think that he's going to be good enough defensively to hold his own, I think, at the five in terms of you know, being 285 pounds and playing much bigger than six seven because he's so quick and freakish off the floor. Um, and then on the other end, I mean, nobody's going to be able to guard him. No center in the NBA will be able to guard him. So I think that you, the advantage that you create um, by putting him at that position, it, you know, it's more beneficial than playing him as, you know, say a four next to another five. So, um, yeah, I, I really do think that's his best long-term position in the NBA, especially if you surround him with shooting. Yeah. Now, RJ was somebody at the beginning of the year, just like you said, when you were sitting with scouts, and, you know, I would talk to different teams, and it would be, yeah, you know, Zion, but we can't, you know, we kind of wonder if, if RJ is going to be the better player. That Kentucky game, RJ was so good in transition, attacking the hoop. And then there were a lot of games where, you know, whether it was that stretch without Zion, where I don't know that Kay did a great job with all these guys. Um, it was almost like he was lost when Zion was gone. And then there were other games, and certainly not to the extent of Reddish disappearing, but it felt like RJ was disappearing. But how big of a deal do you think will it be for him to play in an NBA version of, of an offense versus what, I don't know, what Duke was trying to do this year? Yeah, I mean, he here's a guy who's at his best when he's getting downhill and putting pressure on the rim, right? That's what... People always loved about him. He's aggressive. He's physical. He lives at the free throw line. And then he was playing with basically two to three non-shooters on the floor at all times. And then if you even consider Cam Reddish their best shooter, who's a sub-35% guy, you know. So I think he's going to look so much better with space. 
Uh, and it's tough, right? I mean, he took a lot of heat for, you know, trying to take over late in games. And I, I think there was a stat like he was 0 for 9 in the last minute um, of some of their losses. And, you know, some other guys in their team obviously didn't get touches. But that's a huge part of why teams loved him. Like, he's an absolute alpha. You know, he's done this, uh, whether it's Nike Hoop Summit, whether it's the Canadian national team, juniors and seniors. Like, he's never been afraid of the moment. And I think um, it's a lot easier to kind of rein a guy in, in my, you know, from what I've seen, than it is to maybe turn up a guy like, like Cam Reddish. So um, I think he's going to look so much better in the NBA than he did in college. And it kind of turned into this situation where, like, everybody loves to pick apart R.J. Barrett, you know. And yeah. maybe some of it has to do with the fact that, he's playing next to Zion and Zion's like the most likable guy we've seen. in I don't know how many years and he's such a freak. Um, but it's almost like he, he gets criticized more than any other player in the country. Yeah, I definitely. And I, I think that actually helped Reddish because Reddish is somebody clearly who either, whether he was going to be at three or four in this draft um, in the most recent one, and I don't know if this is just you or Javoni that's up on ESPN.com. You have him at sixth. I think there are times where you would watch him and go, why would I even take him at six? Uh, that mm-hmm. is a size thing, but I gotta tell you, like, there were so many times where RJ's frustrations, like, I could, I could kind of understand him, but with Reddish, I don't know if that's kind of the uncertainty after, say, the top three in this draft. Like, I just wonder right, if we're gonna right. look at this totally different after workouts and all sorts of stuff, and Reddish will be back to where we thought he was out of high school. But that first year at Duke, I don't know. I, I watched a ton of those games, and I, I feel like it's he's still being propped up even though the stock is going down. For sure. I think he's a guy who's going to benefit from the pre-draft process, right? There's, there's yeah. al- It's almost like there's too much time between the end of the season and June, and it, it gives you – it gives scouts – kind of time to and us frankly to talk yourself into guys you know you go to their agent pro day or you see some workouts and you think man like you know he's he's six nine with a seven foot wingspan and he's fluid and he can shoot and he's gonna look really good in an empty gym right um and i think it wouldn't totally shock me if he ends up going in the top five because of things like that um but you know i think jonathan is the one who kind of hit the nail on the head with him all year long and like just seeing what he did in high school at so many different events and not showing up. Like I'm at the Nike hoop summit right now in Portland and uh, he really, really struggled all week and it was a pressure packed environment. And you're in this small gym with NBA GMs. It's, it's quiet. It's um, there's no fans or outside noise. And, and he didn't show up there. Um, he didn't show up at McDonald's practices. And, and so you know, we should have been a little bit more, me personally probably should have been a little bit more prepared for the up and down season that he had because it, it really was kind of his MO coming into Duke. Well, somebody that showed up all the time, and I remember the first John Morant text I got from a scout very beginning of the year, and he's like, make sure you don't sleep on this guy and don't fall into the trap of thinking because he's at Murray State, he's just dominating these weaker guys. Um, where do you see him right now in comparison like his chance versus everyone else to have the best career out of this draft yeah i would say zion is in a class of his own in in my eyes and then i think it's ja um i would rank ja clearly the number two prospect in this draft um you know i i don't really see it as like a 2a 2b thing i think he's going to be an absolute star 
um, just in terms of nobody can stay in front of this guy, you know, and it's, it's not just in transition um, in the half court. He's an absolute blur. He can shoot it off the dribble with range. And I think people talk so much about his ability to get downhill, the dunks, they want to say Westbrook or this or that, but like he's maybe the best passer in the draft and um, his IQ is ridiculous. And then you kind of start digging on the kid and his background and, and where he's come from. And I just think that he has superstar, you know, written all over him. So um, I think he's going to have, you know, it usually takes point guards time, but I think with this kid, it's, he's going to be an instant impact guy from day one, to be honest. Okay. So then this next group, we did the Duke guys and jaw and, you know, I just wanted to get the reddish part and, and include that everywhere else. Uh, DeAndre Hunter goes off last night in the title game, but if you watched him, <laughs> there would be times you're like, wait a minute, this guy's supposed to be a top seven, top eight pick. I think the same could be said for Culver, who statistically, uh, statistically wasn't as good, but I think you can just, you know, anybody that watched, maybe you watched Culver for the last, uh, first time last night, but when you saw him, like he just looked a little different and the size, all that stuff. So give me your breakdown on somebody like Hunter and then get into Culver, who you kind of have to take the good with the bad. And, and look, it's still understandable. These kids are young, but you know, there's, there's lottery picks that stand out, and then I think with this year's class, there's lottery picks that you go, hey, you got to write down 14 names, and if you want to be really tough about it, you're not going to be able to come up with 14. Yeah, I think that's kind of the deal with this draft, right? You have three guys probably in terms of Zion, Ja, and R.J. Barrett that you could say have star potential. You know, some might even just say two. And then it's kind of a whole bunch of other guys. You know, I think teams are trying to figure out who that fourth guy is. Um, Hunter... In a normal draft, you know, maybe he seems more like an 8-14 to 14 guy, um, but he's just so safe. Like, he, you know, he guards everybody. I mean, they put him on point guards, two guards, threes, fours, even sometimes five. We saw him playing some center last night. Um, so I think just the fact that he's mature, he's going to be able to help you right away. Uh, he can shoot it a little bit. He's got the physical profile, and he's a great kid who's improved every year. I, I think he's one of these high-floor guys uh, who projects as, you know, at the least, I think an NBA, maybe not at the least, but realistically an NBA starter early in his career. Um, there's nothing sexy about his game. I mean, I think some people, you know, think there's a chance he could be a fairly ordinary. I, some people said, you know, Jeff Green, um, or you, if you're really breaking him down, you could say maybe like, how different is he than or like a Shemi Ojale or something like that, right? Um, but I, I really like his defensive versatility and uh, the fact that he's improved as a shooter um, and you can kind of slot him in right away. Uh, in terms of Culver, um, yeah, I mean, he he had a great year, obviously. He really struggled to shoot the ball down the stretch, and I think that's what makes him so tough, right, is he's kind of a guy you need to give the ball um, because he can't really catch and shoot. So, And he's probably best like in the mid-post, mid-range spots, picking guys apart and pick and roll. Um, so until he starts making like off the dribble threes, uh, you can't really give him the ball, you know, until he starts making catch and shoot threes, he's kind of tough to play. So um, he's a tough one for me, man. Like I like his, I like his size. I like his physicality. I like the fact that he can facilitate, um, but he's really going to have to become a better shooter to live up to this, you know, top five potential. Yeah. I was looking through it. I mean, his shooting numbers, Especially from three, what is he down in the thirty ones? And but like last year, 
I don't know if I'll pull it up here again, but I think he was at 38%. I think he was like 38 last year. Yeah. So it, it gives you a little bit of hope. Like, I'll never forget Gordon Hayward was one of those players where, like, his last year, I go, why, why are his shooting numbers so bad? And then I go, mm-hmm. well, at least there's something there before that tells you that he could shoot it. So maybe that's something. But yeah, Culver's a, you know, a lot like, a lot like some of these other guys. I mean, it depends on the game that you watch. If you watch Culver in a game where he seems like the only offensive option and taken over, that's great. There's other times where he forces the issue. Maybe he's not as quick as you'd want for a perimeter guy at the NBA level. And you think, okay, is he just driving into all these guys? And, you know, for UVA to have a guy in Hunter, and this, I know this sounds ridiculous the morning after they win a national title and it's because of Hunter for the most part. Um, Ty Jerome was the guy they go to. Ty Jerome's the one that they asked to set up, dribble, and get him into everything. And they did some stuff with Hunter against Purdue once they realized they were kind of getting that switch on that big guy and they just let Hunter drive. But, um, yeah, I guess like the, the theme of it all is that you just have to kind of recalibrate what your expectations are for some of these guys. I just want to get on Jerome here for a second because there are times where you watch him and you go, wait a minute, he's just going to force it and take a ridiculous shot. And then when it goes in, like, okay, well, I guess this is his game. But I think maybe the setup, whether it was the three to his left in the first half or then hitting Hunter for the game tying three, and he kind of knew he was doing that the whole way once he saw the help come in. He's a very different player as a playmaker and guy that could – it almost reminds me a little of Gravis Vasquez. That's what I was thinking about a little mm-hmm. bit last night because it's a little odd. It's not – it's not always smooth. It can even feel a little out of control because it's going to be at times. But that was the one comp that, and I'm not great with comps, but that was somebody that I was thinking of last night watching him. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that from numerous people and something oh. I've thought about myself. I think I think it's a great call. Um, he's a baller. He's a total baller. He's been a baller since day one. Uh, you know, he's, he's 6'5 with a 6'2 and a half wingspan and a dad bod and no explosiveness, but... <laughs> He can really, really play, man. Like, I think, to me, he's a guy who's going to end up starting NBA games eventually. Like, I really, really think that. Um, I think he's one of these kind of hiding in plain sight guys. You know, you can pick him apart. You can say he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. But he shoots it with range. He has a great feel for the game. He's super creative. And I think he's much better defensively than he gets credit for. I mean, they threw him on Jared Colbert to start that game, you know. And obviously Hunter ended up guarding him, I would say, the majority of the time. But he's really, really competitive. And, um, you know, if if you see him in person, it's kind of tough to get past some of those physical things. Um, But in an age where, you know, you you can't really touch anybody in the space, in the floor is spaced, and and it's about feel and IQ and, and skill, uh, I think he fits perfectly. Okay, how much of the Romeo Langford, what is it, the thumb injury that they said they had all year? Uh, mm-hmm. Where are you at with him out of Indiana? Yeah, he's a tough one. Um, he's another one of the – I mean, clearly that's that's an issue, right? Playing with a torn ligament on your shooting hand, thumb is not ideal. So, um, you know, I think you do have to give him a little bit of a pass for that. Uh, he's very, very naturally talented. I mean, he, you, you look at the kid, he's 6'7", with a 6'11 wingspan, a great frame, super fluid. Um, he just kind of floats, you know. He's always been a little bit of a floater in and out of games. And he's another one of these guys where he's really best, like, when you give him the ball. You know, you say, hey, go generate offense for us um, because he's not a great catch-and-shoot guy. So you just wonder, and he's and he's an okay passer, but he's not – such a great passer to where 
especially at the NBA level, you're going to say, hey, Romeo, here's the ball. You're the guy who's going to generate the majority of our offense. I, I, I don't know if he's special enough, at least early on in his career, for that. Um, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure him out, honestly, just in terms of like how he's going to slot into an NBA lineup. But, uh, you know, you do have to give him credit for the fact that, I mean, he averaged almost 17 points a game and, and uh, finished almost everything at the rim. He, he certainly has talent, um, but he's, he's a very, very tough guy to rely on, I think, on a night-to-night basis. So you guys have him ranked, and I don't know if this is, again, you can correct me here if I'm reading this wrong. Do you have him ahead of Kobe White still then? from UNC? We have him 11 and Kobe White 10. Okay, all right. So the latest one I'm looking at here is is old. So how did Kobe figure this thing out and move up from where he was? Man, yeah, he he made a huge jump. I mean, I don't think anyone really – sure, he was a 21st-ranked prospect in his high school class, but I don't think anyone expected him to be a for-sure one-and-done, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I think – he was in an excellent situation in terms of being able to just play at this ridiculous pace, um, being able to, you know, shoot step back threes in early offense and, and have a long leash. You know, he's kind of like North Carolina's kid. He had a tremendous high school career um, at Greenfield and, and, you know, he's, he had the keys to that offense and, and he really produced. So um, he, he evolved quite a bit as a point guard as well. I mean, he was really just, a score. He was a bucket getter. I thought more in like almost like a Jordan Clarkson mold um, coming into the season, as opposed to kind of like this lead guard guy that he has developed into. So uh, credit to him. And, and I think he's a guy who could definitely go in the top 10 come June. Did you see enough out of his teammate, Nasser Little to, and I, I know he's declared and it's not a shock. Um, and he was thought to be kind of top 10, UNC had so many guys, which was, you know, good and ultimately disappointing at the end of the season, but I really enjoyed watching them play. But I don't like doing the, hey, everybody should return thing, because I think everybody says that mm-hmm. about everybody, and you're like, yeah, a lot of times mm-hmm. if you do come back, you end up going even later than you were, would have had you left as a freshman. So I get why he left, but it felt like even with his size and everything, it was just, it was very underwhelming seeing him out there throughout much of the year. Just a lot of it didn't seem like natural basketball skill. For sure. He had, he really, really struggled. You know, I think things were moving too fast for him and, and he, uh, just in terms of his defensive rotations and awareness and, and feel for the game offensively, um, you know, he had some, some struggles and no doubt about it. He kind of looked like a deer in the headlights, but I just, I've seen so much of him prior to North Carolina and like absolutely loved him. Like it's hard for me and maybe it's a flaw of mine to get past some of what I saw at Adidas Euro Camp in Treviso when he was by far the best player on the floor, um, you know, at all the USA basketball mini camps and, and training camps, um, at a week of McDonald's practices, the McDonald's game, which, okay, you don't want to put too much credit or too much value in that, but he was an alpha in all these settings, McDonald, uh, Jordan Brand Classic, um, really just like a variety of different settings. He was the best player on the court. And He's six six with a stud frame and a seven one wingspan, and always played with energy. He's an incredible kid. He's really insightful. Um, it, it's hard to find anyone who says bad things about him. So I still think that he's going to turn out to be a good NBA player. I might be on an island with that, um, but you know it was a tough adjustment for him, right? I mean, they have guys who were really good players ahead of him. Like Cam Johnson is a great, great college player and likely a first round pick, and he kind of fit what they're doing, right? Like, like, let's get up and down and shoot 
catch and shoot threes, you know, let Kobe push, get to the corner and just stroke it. And that's not something that Nasir is, is great at. Um, I think that Roy Williams did a great job as the season went on, kind of adapting and, and putting him in like elbow ISOs and, and putting him in, you know, areas to succeed. But um, I, I'm still a believer in his. And I think with a strong pre-draft process, it wouldn't shock me if somebody takes him back into the lottery. But what you just said is important, though, too, because you've seen him in these different settings. And sometimes, yeah, it can be misleading when it's it's you being more physically gifted than everybody else mm-hmm. your age, mm-hmm. which he would have been uh, and is. But, um, you know, I've, I've talked to teams over the years where you just see, like, somebody would have a bad year, and they'd be like, yeah, but luckily we saw him here and we saw him in all these different things. And sometimes you're like, all right, it was great that you had that information and you had an advantage over other people or you still believed in him or – um, and you know, for other people, it's like we couldn't stop falling out of love with them, even though we had a year of evidence that we shouldn't have. Two other, um, well, there's a few other guys that I want to do here. Um, as you start getting through this a little bit more, are you that determined that you like PJ Washington better than Hero, his Kentucky teammate? I actually think Hero is a slightly better prospect than PJ. I think PJ's helped oh. himself in a huge way. I mean, they're different, obviously, right? Like PJ's kind of a modern four-five. Uh, who's added a three ball to his game. He's versatile. He's got a seven, three wingspan. Uh, I just, I like hero's ability to shoot it in a variety of ways. I think he's tougher defensively than he gets credit for. And I think he's actually going to be able to play a fair amount of pick and roll at the next level. Uh, we didn't see it a ton at Kentucky, but in high school, he, he played quite a bit on the ball. Uh, I like his ability to shoot off the dribble, his feel. Uh, I think his body's going to improve. You know, he's, he's not afraid um, I, I really would consider him in that 10 to 14 range. Yeah, that's why when I saw the ranking there a little bit, um, I was a little thrown off, but um, I'm with you there. I, I just felt like I saw more from Hero and I saw more of the same from PJ. And there's even times where I, I kind of like Keldon a little bit, maybe more in the beginning of the season. Uh, a couple other names that I want to get to, Hachimura from Gonzaga. I know he's kind of their guy, but I feel like I know what Brandon Clark would be as a prospect more so than um, Hachimura. When I watched him, I felt like he was a little robotic, even though for all the scoring and that size. And I don't – I just mean like the absolute fluidity that you'd want from a wing player and all that stuff. I'm not sure that I always got that out of Hachimura, even though he's definitely, you know, far more productive and, you know, Brandon Clark is ranked behind him. But watching Clark, I almost could vision it more going, all right, I know what this guy is more than I knew what his teammate was. No, I'm with you. I think Rui, uh, he's, he's done a great job. I mean, he, he's, was obviously really productive this year. Um, he's come a long way from when we first started evaluating him when he's, you know, 15, 16 years old. He came late to the game and, um, you know, he really wants to be good. He's got an incredible physical profile. Uh, but, you know, his, because he's late to the game, I think his, his offensive feel is very much still a work in progress and, uh, he just hasn't shot a lot of threes. You know, he's one of these guys who kind of prefers to live in mid-range spots. And um, I think he can kill second units as, as kind of a an aggressive um, scoring four, really, is kind of more where I see him. Um, but I think you're right about Clark, you know. And, and Clark is an interesting one in this draft because he's – almost like the most de- divisive prospect in this draft. You know, some people, especially analytics models, will have him, you know, in the top 10, some even in the top five, honestly. Um, and we recently moved really? him, I think, to like, yeah. I mean, some people love this guy. And then others say, 
why would you use a first round pick on this guy? You know, he's got a six ten wingspan. He's twenty two years old. He doesn't shoot threes. Um, I don't, I don't get it. You know, so he's he's one of the guys where I've kind of found the the widest range of opinions. I think it's probably somewhere in between, right? Like I'm not, I don't think he has this incredible upside um, just because uh, he's not a guy who really spaces the floor. He's you know he handles it okay, not great, but I mean he can guard everybody. He's probably the best sub seven foot wingspan rim protector I've ever seen just with like incredible verticality and he's a pogo stick. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly think he's going to end up being a more valuable uh, player at the NBA level than Rui. Um, but you know, Rui passes the eye tests and, and uh, he has that physical profile. It wouldn't shock me if Rui goes higher, but I, I do think yeah. that, that Clark impacts winning a little bit more. Okay. Give me the guy that, is a little bit later than in the first round that you you still kind of love, and then give me somebody else who you know is going in the first round, you just don't see it. Yeah, I really like Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, he's Shea Gilgis Alexander's cousin, um, 6'6", ambidextrous, great feel for the game, really creative, uh, you know, soft touch from three. Uh, I, I think he's a perfect fit in today's game. He can play on the ball, he can play off the ball. Uh, he's kind of probably going to be more of like a second side pick and roll guy, but um, he's probably going to be much better at the NBA level than where he's projected. I think we have him in like the mid, early mid twenties. Um, he's a guy I would consider kind of in that 15 range. So I'm a big fan of his. And, and the one guy who have kind of fallen out of love with a little bit is uh, Casey Okpala from Stanford. Um, he looks like an absolute stud. I mean, he's 6'9", uh, 210, 7-foot wingspan, a multi-positional defender, ball handler, had a good year at Stanford. Uh, but his feel for the game is is very questionable. His awareness, uh, he disappeared in a lot of games this season. You know, Stanford had their struggles. So he's a guy I could see going a little bit higher, maybe even in the top 20, um, than, than I would project him. You can check him out on ESPN.com. Mike, where can we follow you on Twitter? Mike underscore Schmitz. There you go. Perfect. Uh, can't wait to see this stuff get cranked up here again and probably see you out in Chicago. All right, man? All right. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. Okay, before we say goodbye and this other little thing, want to tell you about Box of Awesome. With Box of Awesome, Bespoke Post sends guys only the best stuff every month. They test everything in the Box of Awesome themselves, from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, outdoor gear. Every product gets put through the ringer before it gets put inside a monthly Box of Awesome. To get started, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks but has over $70 worth of gear inside. To get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code RUSSILLO, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, for 20% off your first box. Okay, just a real quick thing. This Antonio Brown deal won't die down. And does he realize, like, he's the one that keeps this thing going? Like, I don't... I think people that, that search their names on Twitter are, are, and then respond to it are kind of psychopaths. And Brown, at least, he got tagged, right? He got tagged in something where somebody said something to yep. Juju, right? And then he just, he wouldn't let it go. Yeah, the guy uh, res- the guy responded with like an image of uh, Juju being named team MVP and that sort of set him off. Right. 
And then he said, boy, fumbled the whole postseason, the biggest game of the year. Everyone went blind, busy making guys famous, not enough reality these days. Blue, by, by the way, check the list. That was from, I don't know, dude. This whole thing is is nuts. It really is nuts to me. Um, Imagine being an Antonio Brown supporter right now. Yeah, and I'd kind of like some of those people that created the pro Ben Roethlisberger crowd out of nowhere. That, you know, just wanted to pretend that Ben Roethlisberger was totally hooked up and that Antonio Brown was speaking truth. Like, I love what I said in the beginning of this whole thing. I don't want to pick either one of those guys' sides, okay? Because I am disagreeing with Antonio Brown doesn't mean I think Ben Roethlisberger's sweet. But, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, at least Ben Roethlisberger showed up to work. So if the team goes, you know, people act like this is complicated or it's anything more devious than it's a quarterback that's easier, you know, it, excuse me, it's the quarterback who, despite being towards the end of his career, you feel like it's going to be harder to replace than all the receivers at that. Those guys have replaced every single receiver and they've always been winners. And I'm not telling you that Antonio Brown is the same as Emmanuel Sanders or Mike Wallace, but every time the Steelers have moved on from a receiver, they've been okay with it and it's worked out fine. And I don't like Roethlisberger, but I refuse to be put in some group where I'm defending Roethlisberger because I also think Antonio Brown clearly, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, I don't know what the goal is there. And then it was weird too because he took a DM that Juju had sent him while he was in college and sent it out to make him look, I guess that was his way of being like, oh, look at Juju. Like you were just, you were just a little kid back then trying to kiss my butt. And now you're going back and forth with me, and it was like I don't know. That message actually seemed really sincere and yeah. earnest. Like honestly, it made Juju look awesome. <laughs> the yeah, guy just wanted so. advice from 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 one of the best receivers in the league. He was trying to work harder, and how could I get to your level? Like it's a very respectable thing to say. Yeah, I know. That's kind of that's I don't know. I, I I guess the whole thing is is really weird. And Ryan Clark, through all of this, when he first came on and said it, and it was so rare to hear a former player speak so. I don't, I don't want to say honestly, cause actually that's, that's some of it sometimes, but that Clark just was like, look, he, Antonio Brown has you guys all fooled. He's been fooling everybody this whole time. And then it was like Clark disobeyed the laws of being in the media as a former player. And then Clark is, is having a field day with people because every time Antonio Brown does something now, he's just like, see, I told you guys, I told you guys all the way back then. So it is kind of just, Fun, I guess, guilty pleasure to, to see all this play out, but I don't know, man. It's just, what a weird team. If I were a Steelers fan, I think there's part of me that's like, you know, I'm just kind of glad to move on and yeah. see what we're going to be like now. Cause this is ridiculous. And honestly, you know, I just, it, it makes Antonio Brown look like he is not over it. Like he clearly isn't necessarily on the Raiders yet. He still thinks he's like on the Steelers. Like it's like he's not over. It's like the it's like the guy who like keeps telling you he's over his ex girlfriend, but then continues to talk about them. And like no, no, it's cool. I don't think about her at all. But like you're talking about her right now, though. So like, you are clearly not over it at all. And nobody else on the Steelers is talking. Like Ben didn't doesn't talk. Tomlin didn't talk until now. Juju didn't really say anything other than positive comments about him. Like Antonio's the only guy who's saying this stuff. Yeah. Right. But it's now it makes sense. Like when all the other stuff in the background that was going on, where it was somebody complimented Juju, remember during the season and AB went off about it. Like it just, this stuff clearly always bothers him. Even though the guy got his way, he won. He got out. He got the guaranteed money. And even Juju was like, Hey, I was really happy for you when you got that new big contract in Oakland. Unless Juju's playing everybody too and he's just smarter and knows how to play the game. I don't know. It sort of reminds me too of like a like a Kevin Durant scenario where it's like what 
what is going to make Antonio Brown happy? I, I don't know. You're right. He got almost everything he wanted, and he still seems unhappy. No kidding. All right, make sure you check out Zach Lowe's Low Post um, every week. Great basketball guests, and they'll be gearing it up for the playoffs. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Rosilla Show podcast on ESPN's app and Apple Podcasts.